This is Jess, and you're listening to The Pumping Podcast. This week, I'm bringing you a story of a mama whose patience and persistence exceeded nine years. That's right, nine years of infertility. This mom just never gave up. She also wrote a book about it that you should definitely check out. It's called The Heart Wants What the Heart Wants, and you can find it on Amazon and check out the show notes because I have a link right there. And the most important thing is how well she took care of herself throughout the whole process, herself and her marriage. I'm so excited for you to hear Brianna Chud's story. Here she is. Brianna Chud, I'm so excited. I feel like we've been, it hasn't been that long, but I feel like we've been in communication to make this happen. And I'm just really, really excited to finally get to talk to you. I'm very excited to be here. So thank you. Of course. And I just have to give, I have to give a big shout out to our mutual friend, Jess, one of my best friends, because she connected the two of us and she has literally connected me to so many moms recently. I was thinking about this today before I was getting ready to talk to you. And I was like, literally so many of my recent guests have been through her. So Jess, I know you're listening. And thank you. I love you dearly. And um, so you met Jess when you were both living in Ireland. That was a few years ago. What, what was that now? Is that like eight years ago? Um, I don't, mm, I'm so bad with chronological things. Like I don't keep track. I just know that I've known her for a long period of time now. Cause yeah. we, we lived there. We were there before she got there and then she left before we left. So somewhere in the middle. Is where yeah. we met. <laughs> it was it was quite a few years ago, um, and before we even get into mom stuff, which I'm really excited to talk to you about. But before we even do that, I need to just hear about you. Just came back from a trip to oh Ireland, God. and I feel like just from stalking you on Instagram, I feel like the trip was more than just a trip. I mean, I feel like it was a sort of a bit of a page turner, life influencer type of a trip. Am I correct in that? I would say it was one of those trips that um, delightfully surprised me. I went with low expectations, and which is probably always a better way to approach these kind of things. Mm. Um, but I was blown away by the trip in itself. I have two friends who are wanting to start kind of like a tourism business in Ireland, but not the kind where it's like the bus tours where you like stop, take pictures, get back on, drive for two hours, stop. They are wanting to do a type of um, almost like how do you say it? Like showing people how to slow their life down and Mm. spend time in like one kind of area in Ireland and explore that area through like outdoor pursuits, through times of reflection, through um, encountering the local people and, um, you know, things like traditional pub sessions with traditional Irish music, exploring castles and monastic sites, churches, um, hill walks, just lots of different things to explore. It's such a tiny, tiny island, but when you're there, they've done such a great job of like keeping things um, small. So they don't just like allow things to be built up, build up, build up. So you feel like the land itself is really expansive. So even though it's small and we covered almost the whole of the island in like four and a half days. So we did a lot. We squeezed a lot in, but we also took lots of times at the different sites that we were at to take five minutes of silent reflection. Um, We did like some slow uh, reflective prayer podcasts along the way that just kind of cause you to take deep breaths and to just pause. 
Um, so it was, I have to say, I'm still unpacking the trip. <laughs> and Mentally it, and probably physically. <laughs> I think it's one of those things where I feel different on the inside. Internally, it settled something in me. It was the it was only my second trip back to Northern Ireland and Ireland since we moved. And I wasn't going back this time looking for doors open for us to move back, which I think was a really big place, a really big like um, doorway to be able to go into it with just a real heart of gratitude. So along the way, the first half was spent down South exploring these options and these places for my friends and offering them kind of some of the the reflective practices that I am using more regularly and trying to see how it all would fit together. And then the second half was spent reconnecting with so many of our, um, we call them family because they adopted us basically into their lives um, up in Northern Ireland. And it was just an opportunity to really um, look people in the eye, hug them for an uncomfortably long period of time. <laughs> um, I've become that person since my dad passed away. I'm like, if I'm, if I am able to hug you in person, I'm going to hug you way longer than is socially acceptable. And I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable, but it's because I love you so much. <laughs> and I don't know when I'm going to get to hug you the next time. So, and just to look them in the eye and say, thank you for everything that you invested into me, for everything you invested into my husband, for everything you invested into our family coming into being and just the way you loved us. So it felt like a real um, spiritual trip, a real honoring trip and a real transformational trip. Um, like I said, I'm still unpacking the trip. <laughs> That's amazing. And I, it made, I instantly thought of like, Ooh, I could go with this person. Oh, I could go with that person. And mm -hmm. I'm kind of not kidding. I, I would reach out to them because yeah, I went out to Ireland once when Jess was there and it was wonderful, but we had a lot of things to do. So it was busy. Um, yep. and I was also, I don't know. I feel like I was in a different place. I was young. I was I think like 21 or something. And I think going now would just be a totally different experience. So I just, I had to ask you about that. Um, and if any of your Ireland friends are listening and you want to share your story about being a mom, reach out to me. <laughs> yeah. So let's um, go back a little bit in time and bring me into life with Brie before she had any children. What was life like for you? Oh, hmm. Life was an adventure. I um, moved to Washington State in 1998 to go to a little private Christian college, and that's where I met my husband. He had traveled a lot before coming to school. He was a mature student, if you will. Not very mature, actually, <laughs> but just older. <laughs> um but yet he had a lot of life experience, which was probably partly why I was attracted to him. He asked me real questions and seemed to care about the real answers. And he was from Alaska and there was something just adventurous in him. They, I think Alaska breeds a different kind of person. And I mean that in the most positive sense because they didn't have the same things to rely on for entertainment. So he just knew how to make life fun. Um, he could make a game out of nothing. He was always just up for like, trying new things. So we um, fell in love at school and gotten married in 2002 and lived in Washington in the area where our school was at for that first year. And it was just fun. I, I consider it kind of like playing house. We were just so excited to be married and it was just so fun. <laughs> Some of our um, good friends at the time, they moved about 
four blocks down from us. So I feel like it consisted of hanging out with one or two other couples who had recently gotten married and just doing a lot of life together. We ate a lot of meals together. My friend and I used to go for runs in the morning when I hated running and she would just say, you can do this. And, um, you know, we would pick blackberries that were wild off the side of the road and people would stare at us because they were like, you're picking the blackberries. We're like, because they're free. Okay. And we're young and married. Um, so we were really just enjoying that first year of marriage and, um, we were working a lot of hours though. I was, I had gone back to the restaurant where I had worked in college and was waitressing and managing the, the restaurant. And my husband was working at an indoor soccer arena because he, soccer has always been a huge part of his life from the age of 10. He just fell in love with it up in Alaska, which again was kind of a, like a strange thing. Um, it wasn't exactly popular in Alaska, if you can imagine. Um, but he had paved, like paid his way through school. He had played in Germany, had played in England, just, um, all through soccer. So we, you know, he was working at this indoor soccer arena and we just decided that we were working a lot and we weren't able to give our time to a few of the other things that we wanted to pursue. So we decided to quit our jobs and, um, packed everything up and we moved in with his mom, drove up the Alaska Canada highway and moved in with my mother-in-law who is amazing by the way just want to like get that out mm -hmm. there um I am one of those few fortunate people I feel like that has an incredible incredible mother-in-law she just finished the Camino de Santiago for her 70th birthday wow. I mean come on how much more awesome can oh, you wow. be <laughs> so we moved up to Alaska with the hopes of saving money to um pursue the dream of moving to Ireland and that was we thought it was going to be with soccer um, because we had a few um, ideas. There was an organization called Ambassadors in Sport that my husband was connected with, and they were wanting to start a new office and a team. So we bravely um, presented to our missions board at our church in Alaska, and they um, agreed to support us minimally for those first six months while we kind of um, explored, I guess you could say. And within the first um, month of arriving, my husband broke his foot. So kind of the soccer idea got put on the back burner at that point and our plan changed dramatically. And we ended up getting connected to a tiny church plant that was a little vineyard church plant starting out. It was like four months old. And at the end of the six months, the pastors asked us if we'd like to come back as interns for a year. So um, at this point, we were just so excited. We were pursuing dreams. We were traveling. Um, we were loose and fancy free, yeah. you know, I mean, it wasn't that it wasn't difficult. We had a lot of things come up in those six months when we were there, blew through like $10,000 of our savings because we couldn't volunteer, we couldn't work, um, went through three different like uh, lemons of cars that just broke down and had every type of weird sickness you could possibly imagine that was just bizarre. Um, but we just were really enjoying meeting new people and experiencing a new culture and just feeling really lucky to be there. And was Ireland um, always for you something, a place that you wanted to go to, or did it just come about with your husband? It was kind of funny because I, I feel like I'm one of those weird Americans who never even thought about Ireland. Like if, I feel like every other American I talked to is like, it's my biggest dream to go to Ireland. It's like, really? Oh, Huh, never thought about it. <laughs> so it, for me, it wasn't my husband when he was um, 
he had lived over in England before coming to college. And when he was there, he had one of the people that was at the discipleship training school he was a part of was from Northern Ireland. And he and another friend went over to Northern Ireland to visit her. And he just said, you know, after that trip, I just remember feeling like this is not a place I would ever really want to come back to. Um, Cause it was really dark. And I don't know if you, I didn't know before moving there about the troubles of Northern Ireland between the violence between Protestants and Catholics and the division. And it was a really awful place for people to live for a specific period of time. And there still is, you know, troubles going on now, but um, it's different. They've had a relatively peaceful um, season for a long time. So there's a lot of kids now growing up who don't really know what the troubles were because they didn't experience it. They only know it from history's perspective, which is great because they're not living it. So it's not their history. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I hadn't like Ireland was never on my radar. Australia definitely was because it was like warm and beachy and like the coral reef. I mean, like just I wanted to, you know, the Great Barrier Reef. I just wanted to be like on a beach somewhere. So yeah. <laughs> but my husband had been to so many places. And but for some reason we had. Yeah, he had felt pretty strongly at one point that we were supposed to move there. And there was some other things that had happened um, leading up to that point. And we just felt like, yeah, it was the right place for us to be at that time. So, so then how long did you stay? In total, we were there pretty much um, the guts of 12 years. Wow. So, yeah. From 2004 to 2016. So we would have trips occasionally back and forth and um, spent some longer chunks towards the end back here in the States. But um, yeah, we, I, I refer to it as the place where we grew up um, mm. because it was, I moved over when I was 24 and left when I was 36. I opened up like the little community coffee shop with our church, which was really fun. I loved it. It was like, it was kind of my creative baby, I guess you could say, because I got to design everything and I would hold like art exhibitions for the town at the coffee shop and we would do like a Christmas craft fair and <laughs> it, was, awesome. it was a really like creative outlet for me so I yeah. love 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 coffee shops and I'm always there and so when did the conversation of starting your family come up and how did that come up for you um I think I don't know I feel like most uh most of my friends when we talk about like the dream of like the family marriage, whatever, we kind of all said like, okay, we meet the person, you get married and like three to five years, you start having a family. Um, that's just kind of the timeline. It gives you enough time to be married and get to know each other and kind of do a few things, but not be like newlyweds. Um, so that was kind of, I think in the back of our mind, what our plan was too. We just thought, well, you know, we've done some traveling now and we're here and well, at like age 25, I thought it would be really nice to be pregnant by the time I'm 26 and to be done by the time I was 30. That was my, like my female goal oriented plan. Uh -huh. <laughs> my yep. very efficient use of time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we so, can all relate, I think. Yeah. I'm like, I think most of us women in that way are pretty like wired to like, this is my schedule. This is how it's going to happen. This is when it's going to happen. And for, for a lot of people it does. And that's amazing. I mean, wow, just lucky you. So, um, but yeah, by the time I was uh, 25, we kind of started talking and said, yeah, let's start trying. What did that look like for you? I know that it was quite a struggle. So anything that you'd like to share or not share is fine, but. 
it's more how much do you want me to share? Because in total, our like whole journey has been like 14 years because we're still in the midst of some of the like the process of infertility now. So let's give well, away. <laughs> we struggled with infertility. Yeah. <laughs> so go for it. Just dive in. I mean, so what did that look like for you? I know it wasn't easy. It was not easy. I think the first year, um, the first year was kind of still a little bit fun because we didn't know, <laughs> we didn't know any better. Um, so, you know, we were trying and they would say, Oh, well, at least the trying is fun. And yeah, it is fun to try, <laughs> but it was one of those things where, um, my 26th birthday came and went and we still weren't pregnant and it had been about a year and we just thought, okay, well, everybody says that a doctor won't see you until you've been trying for a year. We've been trying for a year. Maybe we should go see someone. So we went to our local GP, our local general practitioner, and she suggested we go see a fertility specialist in Belfast. Um, cause that was the closest place of a clinic that we had and which is only about 45, 50 minutes up the freeway. So up the motorway, if we say it. In <laughs> um, so we went to see this specialist and she was supposed to be the best, um, pretty much in Northern Ireland. And, um, I'm sure she was a great doctor for some people, but we just did not gel. We did not connect with her. Um, she was, her bedside manner wasn't the greatest and she just was very, um, very direct in a non sugar coated way. Um, and I think at that stage, especially for something as sensitive as infertility, you kind of need to sugarcoat things a little bit. I mean, I feel like they should be the most open and generous and great listener and kind and warm person. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought she would be too. And she just was the opposite to that. So um, by the end of it, we basically, she kind of just said, you know, you are not going to achieve pregnancy without my help. And um, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I am, again, like I think a lot of women, especially when it comes to our fertility and our family planning, I am really stubborn and I just got really, really pissed off. <laughs> and I just kind of, I wanted to give her the finger. I'm not going to lie and just say, watch us. I'm going to prove you wrong lady. So we went back home and, you know, it's funny because there's certain things that like you almost black out because you don't, there's just so many points of trauma along the way, if I'm honest. And that morning, my parents happened to be visiting us in Northern Ireland and they were sitting in a coffee shop waiting for us to get done. And it was just so funny. Cause it's like, you, these are the things that you want your family to be there for, but at the same time you don't, it was like, I didn't know how to navigate what we had just been told that now we were that couple who was going to struggle. And now we were that couple who was going to need help. And it just was really hard to like, come back and kind of present like a breezy front to my parents, which we didn't have to. And I don't think we really did. They could tell, but you know, just, sorry, that just popped into my head. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's like, well, first of all, it's like you're, you have to kind of entertain. And uh -huh. at this point, probably the last thing that you want to do is entertain. And I think sometimes, especially with information that's so heavy like that, we need a minute to digest and sit with yeah. it before we know how to even present it to anybody, especially somebody who's, you know, that close and loving. And has invested interests as well. Like, hello, it's your parents, you know, they love you unconditionally and they want you to have everything that you ever dreamed of. So, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, so we came back and we started down what would be like the next five years, kind of four or five years of, um, 
just pursuing all different types of options. We changed our diet. We took out all alcohol, caffeine, refined sugars, tried to remove as many processed foods as we could and just ate really clean. Um, we took all sorts of herbal supplements. My husband and I, like we were taking like, I think I was taking 12 pills every morning and he was taking like 20. Um, just trying to, we were trying to heal our bodies naturally because that is a thing. Some people's bodies do heal and some people's bodies, like once they take proper nutrition and once they have different types of supplements, like it actually makes a difference and they achieve a pregnancy, which is incredible and awesome. Um, and I'm a firm believer in addressing any and as many issues as you can. Um, that way, but, uh, those things didn't necessarily work for us. We tried some reflexology. Um, it made my periods a little bit more straightforward and more timed, but I had been diagnosed with PCOS as well. So every time we were trying to like map out a time to even try to get pregnant, like ovulating was so difficult. And it was so funny because you remember the friends episode where, um, Monica and Chandler are trying to get pregnant and she's like, it's my time. It's my time. (laughs) I would be like, I think it's my time. I think it's my time. I don't know. (laughs) There was never any clear indicators whenever I would be trying. So when I like was diagnosed with PCOS, I was like, Oh, light bulb. Like, no wonder I couldn't ever like track my ovulation because I really probably wasn't ovulating the majority of the time. So, um, which makes it hard to get pregnant if you're not ovulating. So so when you saw the the specialist, she didn't necessarily say either one of you had X, Y, or Z. It was just like, this isn't going to happen. She kind of suggested that I had probably a type of PCOS, but she was like, it might be that, it might not, because she could see cysts like surrounding the inside of my ovary, which um, would have been blocking any eggs releasing. Mm. So, um, and at that point, we didn't know that my husband actually had a male infertility factor as well that we didn't find out till later. So we tried all these other few things first and then, um, finally decided like, this isn't happening. Let's go back to our doctor and see if we can get put on the NHS waiting list for fertility treatment. Because one thing that is beautiful in the UK is that everybody is given the right to have a family. It's not considered a privilege or a luxury. So every person who wants to try for a family can try for free at this point, I think still, um, like Northern Ireland, you were given one free round of treatment. Um, I think Scotland at the time it was three and England, it was two. Wow. That's awesome. Which I'm just like, that's, that's amazing. Cause it shouldn't feel like it does in America where it's like, it becomes such, it becomes such a financial burden to even try to have a family and you're like, I didn't choose this. It wasn't like I was stupid and like did something to mess up my body, you know? Exactly. Um, so yeah, so we went back to her doctor and thankfully she and her, um, maturity, I guess you could say, or had had the foresight to keep our name on the list. So when we went back in to see her, we were actually like already at the top of the list. So we were able to get right in um, and started injections. I think it was in December, 2009. And now this was the same specialist that you had seen before? No, um, we, that was a private specialist. And that's why we went to her first initially, because we were like, if we go on the NHS, we're probably going to be waiting like a year and a half, two years anyway. So let's go to her and see what her option is. So, um, we had a different doctor altogether at the hospital. So we went to the, I'm like, Oh, I think it was the Royal, the Royal hospital in Belfast. Now I'm struggling to remember, which was awful, but, (laughs) uh, (laughs) 
um, since we spent some amount of time there. But so we got to the top of the list, did all the injections. Um, it was, yeah. I'm like, I don't want to like skirt over all of that part because it's, it's intense. Like I had never injected myself before. That was really nerve wracking. Um, having to do that and do it consistently at the right time and just making sure you got everything out of the needle. And I don't know, it's just, yeah. it's emotional and you know, you have, you're heightened anyway in like with your emotions with the whole process. So, and then the injections don't help. So we went through all the injections, kept going up for a measurement of the eggs. And then it came to time for us to go in and have the eggs retrieved. So I have to say again, NHS, awesome, free treatment, amazing. What I did not realize was that we had, we needed and should have advocated for ourselves a little bit better because when we went in for the egg retrieval, um, I wasn't giving any drugs. I was kept wide awake <laughs> for the whole retrieval process. Oh, wow. Um, so that was pretty intense and pretty traumatic. So I remember them like puncturing the ovary with the needle and withdrawing each like egg one at a time like you could literally feel it like coming out of your it's I mean it was I can't it's just like an out-of-body weird experience like matrix style you know where you're like <sighs> is this is am I on a computer program like is this real like right. so you know you made it through the first ovary and then they had to do the second and you're like okay, I can do this. Like just, it was really painful and really uncomfortable, but not the kind of pain that you can describe because it's internally, you know, so it's just weird. Um, so did all of that. And my husband had already given his sample at that stage. Um, so he had met me in the recovery room. And when they, a few minutes later, they came in and they, they said, we need you both to come into a side room. And we were like, okay interesting so we thought they were going to tell us that they had made the embryos so we went into the side room and at that point they told us that all of his sperm were dead in the sample um oh. so that was in that moment I think that was a one of the most crushing moments seeing my husband so disturbed seeing like all the color drain from his face and just feeling like oh crap is this the end of the road not knowing you know for that moment in time like is this are we done trying is this us like is this as far as that we go so um felt pretty hopeless but we just said what can we do and the doctor said well we can either just freeze your eggs and you can try some other stuff or we can do a testicular biopsy on brian right now so he said yes and they wheeled him away and only numbed the area of the testes where they were injecting in and went straight in and he had to be awake and fully present for oh his God. retrieval of his sperm sample. So, yeah. So at that point, I think my non-squeamish husband has been squeamish ever since. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So went through all of that and they, they did come back and say we were able to get some viable sperm that way. And, um, we were able to create the embryo. So they sent us home to recover. Um, so we both sat with like ice packs in our regions, you know, and heat packs <laughs> for like <laughs> for about four or five days, just trying to recover and take time. Um, and then we waited for them to call to let us know if they're, if how the embryos were developing. So um, they called, said everything looked good for them to transfer um, to embryos. So went back up. And again, 
um, no drugs, no nothing. They went into <laughs> my uterus, but they hadn't mapped my uterus before. So they kept jamming the tube into my uterine wall. Oh my God. <laughs> and that was another pain I hadn't expected. And I just remember the nurse kind of saying to me, like, can you please keep your bum on the table, ma'am? And I was like, I'm oh. trying, but you're hurting me. Yep. I was like, I'm really trying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I think after like the fourth or fifth time, they finally got it in the right place and in the right way. So then they were able to transfer the embryos. Um, so again, you like literally walk out and you want to like walk on your hands and walk on your head if you can, because you're just like, stay in, stay in. Yeah. <laughs> Not that like the old lifestyle don't really, I don't think they really work, but maybe for some people. Whatever so, you can do at that point. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'll try anything. I don't care. Yeah. Um, but went home and um, then went into hyperstimulation. So that was really fun. And my ovaries swelled up like four times the size of a normal ovary and had to be hospitalized for like four or five days um, and have like the fluid kind of, yeah, I had to have these like weird shots that felt like they were releasing like a hive of bees in your abdomen. Um, oh. <laughs> it's just strange. So made it through hyperstimulation, made it to the point where the like kind of 10 to 12 day period was over and took the pregnancy test and it was negative and we just fell apart. Mm. I mean, at that point, neither of us, I think we had been through so much already and we just were like, well, of course it's going to work. Like right. we are doing an even more specialized version of IVF called ICSI. So it's, it's like they had to take the sperm and inject it into the egg and then like help it kind of grow. And of course it's going to work. So when it didn't, we just had like no frame of reference. It just crushed us both. So that time my husband kindly uh, had already organized a trip for my 30th birthday. And, um, we went over to London cause it was easy to do when you live in Northern Ireland. And we went to see Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> um, it was my favorite musical. So we had gone over there and we were like, okay, let's just draw a line in the sand. So we, um, did that and came back and we were like, okay. So kind of went back to normal life. And then decided we still had a few embryos left. So we decided to go back in, in like July, August time of 2010 again. And this time the transfer was much smoother. Two embryos had survived the freezing out of the three. So we implanted both two and just, it was a simple procedure this time. Uh, so we just felt like, oh, my body maybe won't be in hyperstimulation mode. They didn't, you know, there wasn't time wasted with them doing the transfer because they had mapped my uterus and they knew where they were going this time. And maybe just with the bit of space from all the treatment and drugs and everything, maybe it would work. And then it didn't again. <laughs> so that time we did head up to the North Coast and um, I learned how to make a really mean Irish coffee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> necessary for sure necessary and sometimes maybe a very strong one I'm not going to lie um and we ate a lot of licorice all sorts and jelly babies which are just like you know, favorite sweets from over there and watched a lot of movies read a lot of books because I just remember at that time every time I stopped like occupying my mind with like nonsense you know of like funny movies or romantic movies anything really I would just start crying because I was so heartbroken and just so raw and um I remember kind of it was getting close to like the day that we were going to have to go back down to Dungannon and kind of go back into normal life and I just remember um saying to God okay you and I need to have a talk we need to do some business because 
faith is a really big part of my life and um, God had been a big part of our journey and still is a big part of our journey. And I just knew that I needed to come clean and just be really honest. And I went and I sat on a rock by the water and I just cried and I cried and I cried and I poured my heart out to God and just asked him all the questions and I was mad at him and I just let it all out. (laughs) Um, And it was, it was a really sweet moment because I felt like I left nothing out. I felt like I left everything on that rock that day. Yeah. It's definitely a healing opportunity. Oh, totally. And I think like one of the most healing things we can do for ourselves, no matter your religious beliefs is to be honest with yourself. Cause I think the more we lie to ourselves, the more we're like denying our own healing process and, and creating unhealthy patterns in our life. Um, that really, that eventually catch up with you anyway. Like you can only deny what you feel for so long before it actually just eventually eats you whole. <laughs> so totally. So had that conversation and we decided at the end of that little time that we were done trying for a while. We were just going to go back to living some adventurous life <laughs> and pursuing other dreams. Cause we also, you know, we, we decided that, you know, for a long time we had been focusing on the one thing we didn't have, which was a family that we really wanted, but we also had kind of been ignoring everything else that we did have. Maybe not so much my husband. I think he was better about like living in the moment and seeing a bigger picture. Whereas I struggled with that a little bit more. And I think that's kind of normal um, because we're wired so differently. A lot of the times men and women, um, especially when it comes to families and having children and everything. So we just, he, uh, really just poured himself into the like the youth of our community and it was such a rewarding time for him just great relationships built and um just seeing really like cool things happening with the kids and them making better decisions and kind of growing up into themselves and finding things that they were good at because he was helping them discover who they were and I really poured myself into the coffee shop and opened it up during that time kind of and uh decided to learn to play guitar because I had time and I Ooh. ran my, I ran my first marathon because again, I had time. Um, so, you know, just all the things that we could do because we didn't have a family was what we tried to focus on. Yeah. Taking a moment, step back and reground yourself and find the things that you're grateful for before moving on again. I think it's so mm-hmm. hard when Women are women and men families are in this situation and they do keep like they do keep feeling like they're pounding against a wall. You know, the only thing that I can um, or I should say they feel like they're knocking on this door, you know, that's not opening. The only way that I can relate because I'm not yet a mom is I've been feeling that way a lot with my career to a certain extent. And then it was Mm -hmm. something like starting the podcast just kind of came to me through multiple ways, but it's opened me up in so many other ways. And, mm-hmm. you know, things start happening because you're kind of healed and happy and whole again. And it's kind of a similar situation in, in the way that life is, you know, we, we focus so hard and we hold on to something so tight and it's not until we kind of release it and we're just back to who we are as people that things can start to happen. Yeah. Well, it's like a a clenched fist is not anything that can like, you can't receive anything with a clenched fist. Exactly. 
until you like open up your hands and let go that you can actually receive anything else. Right. But it's only natural for us to keep those fists clenched. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, when, when you can see like our bodies are such like incredible pieces of art that they can create and sustain life and that we have the ability to reproduce. I mean, it's like mind blowing when you actually think about it, (laughs) when you like, I think when you go through infertility, I'm looking around all these people like, did you know the chances that you were even here? Oh yeah. (laughs) I'm a miracle that I'm here, you know, and you're, I mean, it's just this, uh, it's just this real deep appreciation for humanity and for life in itself. Um, when you try to go through this and you actually realize it's not that easy. <laughs> it, it is for some people, but exactly. it's not always. So, and I have to say, we had an amazing group of like friends and our family were really supportive and we just, we, um, we were in a great community of people. I cannot reiterate that enough. There were just so many people who supported us in random little ways, sent us away for like a hotel stay or would just drop off chocolate and wine. I mean, just little things, but it didn't probably seem that big to them, but just were really big to us, um, during those periods of time. And, um, yeah, so I think that it was easier to come back to myself because I had so many people reminding me of who I was and, um, and loving me in, in the place where I was, I didn't have to pretend I didn't have to like put up any exterior that said I was okay or that I was fine. Um, eventually I got to that point. So, so yeah, I guess you can say like we fast forwarded to 2013 and at that point we had been living in Northern Ireland for almost a decade and we just decided it was kind of time to come back to the States for a few months and, um, invest in the family that we loved here. So, um, quit our jobs at the church and the physio clinic and just kind of, put everything in storage and just packed everything up and said, okay, we're going to go home for a period of time and just really love on our families. And that's what we did. And at that point we had no um, real idea of like pursuing, starting a family again. Like it wasn't on our radar when we initially like made the trip over. And it wasn't until probably we had, I had gone to Idaho first to visit my family and Brian had gone straight to Alaska to visit his and it wasn't until I got to Idaho and was there a couple weeks and I called Brian and I just said, I think maybe we should try to have a family again and that we should try with the clinic here while we're here. And he was, it was like a bombshell. <laughs> he was like, what, come again? Did you, what, what did you just say? <laughs> you, you want to go through that again? Or, are you sure? Like, <laughs> it just totally caught him off guard. It wasn't because we hadn't talked about it. It wasn't like on our radar really at all. So by the time, uh, like about a week later, I think I ended up traveling back to Alaska and I'll never forget it. We were sitting out on his mom's deck and it was October 4th, 2013. And we just went through like what we had done with our lives the last 10 years and how amazed we were at everything that had happened and everything that we had been able to be a part of and just how we had lived out so many dreams. But the one dream that hadn't yet been fulfilled was that of a family. So, um, which I think it's really important to like, we weren't denying, you know, by taking that break, we weren't denying the dream was still there. Um, but we were recognizing other dreams, but I think there comes a point in time too, where you have to either, um, pursue the dream again, or you have to let the dream die. Um, so, and that might, 
look like choosing to adopt and pursuing that dream of having a family or going down the road of fostering or for some people it's just stop any way of having a family so you have to you have to make make that decision and go for it yeah 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 so um we decided to try again I just said I think we will regret it if we don't try one more time so that's what we did we contacted the clinic in Idaho where we had had in the past we had gone for one consultation and they had just said you know if you can get free treatment in the NHS do that so you don't have to pay all this money and it might work and if it doesn't work we'll be here which I thought was really really kind and smart advice so um we got everything sorted and luckily um (laughs) I would say miracle upon miracles like our family and friends all just like chipped in and helped us cover the cost because it was so expensive. And like I said, we were not planning on it. So it was a pretty um, big surprise. (laughs) Yeah. So by the end of the two months um, before we started the treatment, all of the whole cost was covered, which I still can't even believe. Amazing. Yeah. Can't even believe it. It was a miracle. Um, So we went in and did again all the injections, all the bloods. And this time, um, it was funny because my husband had agreed to do it as long as he didn't have to do a testicular biopsy again, which I was, <laughs> I was fine with. I was like, that's okay. And his sample had looked better this time than it had even previously. So we were like, well, that's great. That's more of a chance. Um, come again to the clinic and his samples on the day when they needed to um, begin creating the embryos. Again, they found one live sperm, one. <laughs> So uh, they were like, okay, so he's going to need a biopsy. And I was like, oh. (laughs) Um, But this time we, this time it felt different because we knew he would have like the anesthesia and um, that he wouldn't be going through what he went through before. Um, So he said yes and went uh, under local anesthesia and came out. But this is, this is just my husband for you. I wish you could know him because he's, He's just, he is incredible. Um, I'm so fortunate that he has my husband. He's amazing. <laughs> but he, and he has a great sense of humor. And this will, you'll understand what I mean. Because as he was coming out of his anesthesia, this is the song, because it was on the radio a lot right then. But he was like, they came in and they wrecked my balls. <laughs> and that's, that is. <laughs> That is why he came out of anesthesia singing. <laughs> oh my god, that's amazing! I actually, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna have to get together and have a couple date because I feel like my husband would do the exact same thing. <laughs> it was just oh like, I, I mean, I was just dying, and I was watching like the nurse was trying. She was like, "Can I laugh?" Like he just, I mean, she didn't know what to do. It was this awkward like. And he was like trying to stand up in his gown and his butt cheeks were hanging out. And, you know, I'm like, okay, honey, let me get some underwear on you. Like, it's a, like he was just happy and he was on drugs. Oh, oh my God. That's amazing. I love it. Oh, so it was like such a beautiful moment of like, even in the midst of this, like you have not lost yourself. You have kept your sense of humor and I most love you for that. Thank you. Cause I'm, I can be a very intense person sometimes and, I need a lot of silliness in my life and he brings a lot of silliness. He's, he's just amazing. He's, uh, he's just, he's very realistic, but he's also very silly. So yeah. (laughs) That's so perfect. I I don't really know 
how to go on from there. But um, <laughs> so we uh, both again went back to like recover and um, his recovery took a lot longer this time. It was like six weeks in the end because they did like four biopsies and they got like so much sperm, which was great. And we found out actually at that point, that was when we found out his male infertility factor was that only one of his vast difference had ever fully developed. So basically there was only one side of his testes that was actually releasing sperm. The other side, it was like every time he would go, it was like, it would just hit a brick wall because it, it had never fully developed. So there's no escape route for them. Mm. So one side had been working really hard for all those years and was really tired. So they had gone Mm. into the other side and that was really great because there was a lot of great fresh sperm there. So um, we came back to my parents' house cause we were in Idaho at the time. And that's where my family all are from and live. And it was this funny, like Bermuda triangle of like recovery. It felt like an infirmary. Cause my dad had just had open heart surgery. I had just had like the procedures and, um, yeah. And had gone back in for the transfer and my husband was recovering from his procedure. So we all sat in like <laughs> recliners, really actually like in the shape of a triangle. And my mom like took care of oh all of God. us. And it was just so fun. <laughs> <laughs> At least so, you were together with the family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that honestly, like that felt so special as well, because when we were overseas and we were doing everything, my family and his family weren't able to be a part of any of it physically. I mean, they were obviously like carrying it with us and we were having lots of conversations and lots of text messages and emails and pictures and, um, all of that, but they weren't able to physically be there with us for any of those things. So, um, when we actually did the transfer in Idaho, my husband was in the room with us. Um, one of my best friends was in the room with us and my mom. And I mean, it was just so special. Like how many people get to have those special people in their lives at the point of like potential conception, you know, yeah. by that stage, like all romance is dead in the sense of like, exactly. you're like, uh, yeah, it's not going to happen. Like our love is not going to create a baby. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you just want it to happen. <laughs> no, it's like there's no rose petals. Okay. So um, there's like hospital gowns and technicians with their cool caps on. So um, <laughs> really, really sexy and romantic. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it was really special to, after everything, to be able to just have that moment to share with them. And we got some really special pictures um, in the room at that point, too. Um, so went through the kind of the waiting period, came in for the first blood test and um, came back the next day because they want you to do two back to back to just measure your numbers. And I remember being in the waiting room and one of the ladies was like, oh, are you here for your blood test? And I was like, yeah. She's like, is this your first or your second? And I was like, oh, it's our second. She's like, that's a good sign. And I was like, don't say that. Like, don't, yeah. don't, you don't know me. You Like, don't say that to me. Like, don't even get my hopes up. <laughs> so we um went back in and had the second blood draw and they were like okay go grab coffee spend your day doing whatever you need to do we'll call you um probably late this afternoon maybe four or five we we're like awesome because it was like 9 30 in the morning um so we went to a coffee shop and ordered a coffee sat on the couch started drinking them and my phone rang and i was like it's the clinic and he's like, okay, so answer it. I was like, should I, should, I mean, is that a good thing? Do you think it's a bad thing? Like they're calling us now. It's like, really, maybe something's wrong. And he's like, just answer the phone. <laughs> so we stepped out of the coffee shop because it was really noisy. And she's like, I have some news to tell you. Are you in a good place to hear it? And we we're like, yeah, we can hear you fine. And then um, 
she just like there was this long pause and I mean obviously like everything in you like every emotion every thought you're just like just say it just say something I don't care to say something because at that point we both like we knew that we would be okay we had survived everything else and at that point like our faith was still intact our marriage was still intact who we were was still intact. We had survived what we felt like was the worst of it. And we knew we could survive it again if we had to. So we, we just felt really like in a good place, you know? Um, and then she just got a little, you could hear just a little perk in her voice. And she just said, you're going to be a mommy and daddy. And she like screamed it into the phone and we just both started crying and like jumping up and down and like hugging and kissing each other. And she's like, I'm just so excited for you guys. Congratulations. Now go tell everyone. And we're like, okay. (laughs) So I mean, it's just, it's one of those moments that will forever be like frozen in time because we were standing in like this weird little hallway of like the coffee shop exit and like offices with all these windows where like some people could see us and we're standing there like literally coming unglued and just with the first the first like real glimpse of actually having children yeah like the first time ever we have never had a positive pregnancy test ever in the whole nine years like leading up to that point we've never had one positive test Mm -hmm. we had never had gotten even close to having like a miscarriage which sounds awful to say but there was something in me that was like, well, at least if we could get pregnant, like that would be helpful. Um, So yeah. So then, um, yeah, went through and told all of his family first and then saved it till that evening to surprise my family and told them in person, which was really sweet and special. Um, and I kind of like, I put all this on my blog. That's kind of when I started actually blogging was around this time of treatment. Cause we were keeping everybody in Northern Ireland updated as we were going, um, made a whole bunch of phone calls that night to tell everybody. Uh, so it was really it's just so special, <laughs> so incredibly special. Mm-hmm. Um, that moment. And I think it was really special too, because since then, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, there was just so many things that like my dad was there for it and he died in 2017. So, you know, just like feeling really thankful for moments like that, that you got to share in person. So we packed everything up and we headed back to Northern Ireland, um, uh, shortly thereafter. But before we left, we, um, went in for like the next round of tests to show that we were still pregnant and that was good. And our numbers were going up and then went back in and found out that we were pregnant with twins on Valentine's day oh. in 2014. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> it was like, Oh, the most like romantic, sweetest gift ever that we're having two. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just really, really fun and special. And, uh, got to head back to all the excitement in Northern Ireland. Everybody's super excited for us and wanting to celebrate with us. And, you know, I, I thankfully had a pretty decent pregnancy for the most part, only threw up like three times. Um, just, I was able to run up until like 15 weeks and then got really, well, I thought it was a stomach bug. It ended up, I had to have my appendix out at 16 weeks. Um, so that was not part of the plan. That was not super fun, but like another unexpected surgery. If you have to deal with that, no biggie, right? (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, they, it was at that point, I was like, well, it's got to come out. And if it doesn't all of us die, like both them and me. So it's not really an option. So I had to go under like a two hour surgery and, um, 
I spent like the next like eight weeks kind of on bed rest recovering because I was like growing. It was like the most rapid time of growth probably of the pregnancy. But your body needed to heal. Yeah, I was trying to heal, which actually I think in the end was great because my scar tissue, so many of my friends who had had their appendix out before their scar tissue from their appendix was actually more sore on them than like anywhere else. Cause the scar doesn't stretch as much. So my scar tissue just kept stretching. <laughs> it never got no really option. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, again, the silver lining. <laughs> now, how old are your boys? They are five and they just had their fifth birthday on the 1st of September. So, but yeah, they arrived on the 1st of September, 2014. And it's been amazing. Um, we are so fortunate. We did uh, just try again last year for what we consider to be our final attempt. And unfortunately it ended in a miscarriage in January. Um, but honestly that I'm, it was hard and it was really, really awful. But at the same time, everything that we had learned and gained through the years previous made that feel like less of a blow, I guess you could say. Right it also helped us know that we were definitely done trying to extend our family at that point. And now we are in the process of going through an embryo adoption. We have nine remaining embryos and there is a couple that have been chosen Aww. that are going to probably be getting our embryos in the next couple months. So that's really special. It's that's probably been the hardest I would say though, yeah. um, all of it, because for us, those are our babies. Right. And releasing that last option. Releasing that last option and also just releasing um, their parenting to somebody else who's not me, who's not my husband, who won't maybe understand our family background, who won't understand our dynamic, you know, and our sons have a lot of energy. So you're like, are they going to put them on like ADHD meds because they have a lot of energy and they just need right. outlets and they don't, you know, just all the different things you can, there's so many fears that you could actually get caught up in. But at the end of the day, we believe that those embryos deserve a chance for life. And this couple has their own story of heartache and it just feels really special that we can um, take part in helping somebody else of the family that we know changed us. And we know if they are fortunate enough to have some of these embryos take that their family will change them too. Yeah. So, And so you've pretty much at this point closed the door or do you think you would try to do some sort of adoption on your own or? I think at this stage, I'm going to be 40 in February. Um, even physically, like it's, I'm not as young <laughs> and I can tell that and my energy is different. And um, I have a lot of other dreams. I've written a book about our infertility story. Yeah, I was and about to get to that. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause I call it the silver lining again, because it like, it awakened the writer in me that I didn't know was there. And it has felt like such a gift of like how to process this journey and how to um, process life. And I just, I'm very passionate now about my writing and would love to write um, professionally and, you know, write a couple more books more if possible. And um, just recognizing the limited time we have left on, you know, my dad passed away at 80. My husband's father passed away at 51. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's those kind of things where you're like, okay, like I'm not being morbid, I, morbid. Yeah. I'm just like being realistic. Well, maybe it's a sign that all of this journey that you went through now, it's maybe time to hunker down and just be grateful to have your two boys who are healthy and exactly. time together as a family instead of yeah. keep searching for more and more and more. 
Well, and I think like at the beginning of this year, there were kind of three things that I like chose like as my little mottos. Um, and one of them was that like, I have enough. Like I wrote about it on my blog that I have enough. I am enough. Our life is enough that like, we don't have to keep adding things. We don't have to keep getting more to make our life anymore. Yeah. And, um, I have like a little sign on my wall that just says enough. It's part of one of my like collages. And then I have like a little note at the front of my door that says I am enough and I have enough. And, um, you know, it's just been kind of that thing of just being really thankful. And I think to, um, just really believing that God has not withheld his best from us because we haven't had any more that this is our best and it's beautiful. And I have so much to be thankful for. And, um, and my boys, they're going to keep growing and they're going to keep needing me and they're going to keep needing my husband. And, um, and who knows, someday we might be connected to those other children that come from those embryos. We don't know. Right. Well, for those listening, definitely go check out the book that um, Bree wrote is called The Heart Wants What the Heart Wants, and it's available on Amazon. I'll put the link in the show notes, um, as well as her Instagram and um, link to her blog. What I'm wondering, my last few questions are, what I'm wondering about the book, besides some sort of a release for you or healing, or maybe that's all it was, but what did the writing of your book do for your soul? I always say I wrote it for two reasons. I wrote it for obvious, like the cathartic reasons of healing. Um, but I also wrote it to take away stigma from others that they wouldn't feel alone, that they could read it in the privacy of their own home, um, that they could find it and no one would have to know, but that they would know I'm not alone in this. There are other people like me out there. Um, Cause there's a lot of like, I don't know, there were times where I felt insane, where I felt like a really cruel person. Cause if I'm a hundred percent honest, I wanted to like kick every pregnant woman I saw. Um, I mean, yeah. anger, just pure, right. Like outright anger and frustration. And um, I just want other women to know that that's okay. You know, I think so much of difficult situations are made more difficult by us feeling alone. And I don't think we have to feel alone if we, if we, choose to look out and find other people who are like us. So, and I just wanted to write the book for that reason. So, and recently you've been doing um, some speaking, I, I noticed. So what is that for you? And what, what's that been like? Um, I actually love public speaking. I was a comm major in university and I always would joke that I just wanted somebody to pay me to talk. <laughs> um, You're really good at it. So. I, uh, I have another friend who called me a people collector and um, I just think people are the most valuable thing that you can invest your time into. And um, every opportunity I get to share my story, I will, because I think, again, it, it causes us to hold hands, whether or not our stories are the same. It causes us to hold hands in solidarity and, and just stand there and say, you're not alone. And we're going to walk with you. We're going to walk together. And I just, I keep saying we're better together. We're better together than we are apart. And there's so many, you know, things that we learn throughout the journey that I think are valuable for other people. Um, so if I can help one other person, find purpose in their story because I can share from the pain of mine and it turns into purpose, then that's great. That's the whole point. Like that's one of my biggest prayers was I was like, if I'm going to go through this kind of stuff, it has to become purposeful. Um, yes. That's why I will keep sharing it 
and we're not done. Like this story of infertility will never really be resolved for us because um, those embryos have yet to be transferred. There's more lives out there and our boys are young and yeah, we don't know where the story takes us. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing it. My, um, my very last question for you is focused on your boys and it is diving into the future a little bit. What is something that you want to leave with them? Some words that you want to leave with them for when they are 18? That they were fought for <laughs> and that they will always be loved and that family sticks together <laughs> <laughs> and to be true to themselves because that's been huge for us in all of this is we found so much out about who we really are and how we're wired and um, lots of personal growth. And I can already see it in them. And I can actually see how much benefit we're gaining from even what we've gone through and how we parent. And I'm just thankful for that. So, and that their mother will always be the cheesy wind beneath their wings. I'll always be here. And their dad will too. Like will always be like cheering them on and lifting them up. They can do anything they want to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's so crazy because when you say that, it's like you and your husband went through hell, <laughs> truly. Mm -hmm. But you still managed to learn about yourself and take care of yourself and come back and heal together as a couple, yeah. which I think is so smart and admirable. And you needed that in order to keep trying because then you would have fallen apart as a couple and as mm -hmm. individuals. So the yeah. fact that you want your kids to know that too, it's like they were fought for, they can always keep fighting themselves for whatever they want like like your book the heart wants what the heart wants and yeah whatever it is that they that they want they're going to be able to get and I know that you know your husband and yourself are just so supportive and will be that way for them and we remind them all the time like I tell them probably weekly like numerous times that they were a gift to mommy and daddy I always want them to know how much they have brought to our lives I never want them to feel like a burden um yeah which is really hard. I'm not going to lie as a parent to always make your kids feel like they're a blessing because they cost a lot and they require a lot financially, energy wise, emotionally. You can lose your patience. And, <laughs> but yeah. Still. Yeah. And I mean, I screw up every day, you know, there's mistakes that I'm making every day in my parenting, but I say, sorry a lot, <laughs> you know, but I, I want them to know how much they were such a gift. And I think it's a good lesson for every parent to remind themselves that your children are a gift and they're a gift to be enjoyed. Um, and that's something we learned through going through this whole process is we definitely enjoy our children. It's just been such a dream to speak with you. I only wish, I never told anybody where you are. You're actually in, are you in California? Uh, Washington. You're in Washington. Yeah. Oh, so you're, you're back. There. Yeah. Yeah. But I only wish I was in Washington being able to sit and have coffee with you. I know. And we can actually see each other. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm really, truly grateful that you were able to share your story was such open, honest, you know, I mean, you're so grounded after all that you've been through. And I'm just really, really grateful that you shared it. And I hope that anyone who's listening, who's been through any sort of infertility or is currently in the midst of it, um, pick up her book, reach out to Brie. I know that you would love to, like you said, you're a people person and you'd like to connect and I can help connect anybody as well, but I'm just, I'm really grateful. Thank you for taking some time this afternoon. And, um, 
we're gonna we're gonna be in touch i know that we are i think so, I feel, I think so too. <laughs> thank you for inviting me it's a real honor and a pleasure to be here the pumping podcast is a podcast for moms and by moms and i am your host i'm not yet a mama i'm a mama in training if you're enjoying what you hear please take a minute on itunes to subscribe rate and review so more mamas out there can find us and listen along while they're pumping or breastfeeding if you'd like to be a guest and share your story, email me at thepumpingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also email me if you have any questions for any of my guests, and I will reach out, get those answers, and relay them to you in a follow-up episode. A big thank you to my friends Ashley and Kelly for the use of their baby's laughter, and my dear friend Erin Adams for writing my gorgeous theme song. You can follow along on Instagram at thepumpingpodcast, and go ahead and share the podcast with a mama you know. Until next time, keep on pumping.